Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. If you need help, With your website, getting more traffic to your website, if you already have one or you want to build a website and have Dave consult with you of how to get the best traffic to your website, the most hits on Google, etc., he is the man for the job. He will build a website or he will consult with you on your present website. Check out their information in the show notes. Today's podcast is a message on the life of Peter that John has been teaching on Sunday mornings at Church in the Woods at Freedom Ranch. Without further delay, here's John. All right, I want to continue our study here in the biography of Peter, Simon Peter. I don't know how many of you might identify with this character. This New Testament character is probably the one disciple that's mentioned more than any others in his history, in the the history of Jesus' public ministry and following. In fact, in every list of disciples that are recorded, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Peter's name is at, at the head of it. He's the beginning. Which suggests that Peter was one of those natural-born leaders. You know anybody like that? Now, being a natural-born leader, you can either lead positively in a good way, or you can lead negatively in a bad way, but you're a leader. Peter was such a leader, and we're actually kind of studying how Jesus shaped and molded him in his character, in his personality. Now, he said he was going to do that from the outset, remember? When Peter first saw Jesus, his brother Andrew convinced that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel, went home and told his brother, Peter, whose name was Simon at the time, Simon, we found the Messiah. Now, can you imagine what that must have sounded like? I mean, Israel, as a nation, had been waiting for their Messiah to come for thousands of years. They kept hoping that their Messiah would come and be a deliverer. And so when Andrew told Peter, we found the Messiah, I'm sure Peter was shocked. And he followed Andrew and was introduced to Jesus. Now when Jesus saw Peter, or Simon, who was the son of Jonah, When Jesus saw him, he told him his name. He said, you're Simon Barjona, 
you're Simon, the son of Jonah. But from now on, I'm going to call you Peter. See, Simon is like a reed, you know. It, it can be it's like heavy grass could be blown around and is always kind of vacillating back and forth. But Peter, Petros, means a rock. Rock solid. So Jesus announced to Simon at the outset of his ministry what he was going to do to shape and mold and change his character from flighty and flaky to rock solid. And that's what we've been looking at here in the various passages in which any interaction with Peter is recorded. And we want to do the same thing today. I want to go to the end of Jesus' public ministry as he began to finalize in his last training session with his disciples, began to finalize the shaping of their character. We're going to use Peter because obviously he's, he's the one that is the most outspoken. He's the one that, that by then had assumed a leadership role among the disciples. And he was also recognized by Jesus, remember? As we studied last week, the confession of Peter, Jesus, about halfway through his public ministry, took him to Caesarea Philippi, kind of a resort place, in the villages outside, he asked them, what's public opinion of me? They said, oh, some people think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some people think you're John, Jeremiah, or you are Isaiah because of the nature of your preaching. He said, who do you think I am? And then Peter blurted out, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, you remember what Jesus told him? He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So he told Peter, point blank, that the reason you can say that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah of Israel, is because my Father told you that I am. Now that also serves as a model for all believers. Did you know that? Yeah, you're not just dealing with Jesus, you're dealing with the Father. And when you become convinced, like we studied last week, that Jesus is who he said he was. That's not because you looked it up or you Googled it. It's because the Father revealed it to you. And only those to whom the Father reveals Jesus are the ones that understand, the ones that get it, the ones that know. Now in that same context, Jesus also gave Peter another revelation. He said concerning his leadership and his work, you are going to be part of the assembly that I'm building. The assembly is translated, unfortunately, as church. 
which has a different connotation in our minds today. But Jesus said, upon your Simon, Peter, you are Petros, a rock, but upon this rock, referring to himself, and he used a different term, Petra, which means a massive rock formation, I will build my assembly and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now think of it in terms of a spiritual war or spiritual battle. Jesus is preparing those who are going to engage in that battle. He is getting them ready. And here he gives them the promise that he is going to build the, that church that's going to do that. He is going to build that assembly that's going to engage in a spiritual war and promise that the defenses of hell itself will not be able to prevail against you and what I've called you to do. And he gave him authority. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now he was talking undoubtedly to Peter, but meant all of them. I give you all this kingdom authority. And whatsoever you shall bind, or whatsoever you shall decide on earth, shall have already been decided and continue to be decided in heaven. You see, that authority is not that you can play God. No, no. God's God. The authority is you can represent Him. You've all heard me say this many times, that your job as a believer here in this world is to actually be Christ to others around you. To share His character, which is best described in the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. You're going to share that with others around you. At home, on the job, in the community, wherever you are, you're going to share that character of Christ. You have a God-given authority to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So he was beginning to shape and mold Peter, as well as the other disciples, as to what he wanted them to do when he ascended back into the Father. Now, the passage we're going to look at today is at the end of Jesus' public ministry. It's at the end of his ministry training for three, three and a half years of these disciples. It's in the upper room, that place where Jesus observed the Passover meal with his disciples. And in that upper room, he taught them, kind of put the finishing touches, if you will, on his training. But let's notice how he worked with Peter. In John chapter 13, he tells us that before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew his time had come. He knew who he was, what he was here to do, and that it was time to do it. He knew also of his security and his significance. He knew personally he came from God and he was going back to God. He knew where he was going. 
And he knew he had an important job to fulfill in the sacrificial death on the cross. Now, he had told his disciples about this before. Okay, Back at Caesarea Philippi, he told his disciples, look, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to be rejected by the religious folks. I've got to be abused and killed. And I've got to rise again the third day. I don't think any of them understood that. I don't think any of them uh, really grasped what he was telling them. Especially Peter. Because immediately after he said that, Peter took him aside and said, now wait a minute, wait a minute, Lord. You got this all backwards. You're the king. The king doesn't die. The king sets up a kingdom. The king doesn't get rejected. The king overpowers and establishes a kingdom. Jesus turned to him and rebuked him, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For you don't understand or appreciate the things of God, but the things of this earth. See, Peter was thinking with that natural mind. And that natural mind could not accept the fact that Jesus was going to suffer rejection, humiliation, and crucifixion. He said, no, no, that can't happen. But he continued several times, again, recorded in the Gospels, to tell them this very same thing. Now, the time had come. In that upper room, on the night before he was crucified, he met with all his disciples and he gave them what I refer to as the last ministry training class, if you will. And the very first thing he started with, the very first thing his training started with in the upper room was an object lesson. You all know what object lessons are. You take a, uh, an object of some sort and you manipulate it or change it or something, and that illustrates his point. Well, Jesus' object lesson was a little, little strange because he acted it out himself. He got up after supper and he took off his outer garment and he wrapped himself in a towel, got a basin of water, and began to walk around systematically and wash his disciples' feet. Now, in order to understand the significance of that, in fact, have any of you been in a foot washing ceremony? Yeah, there's a couple of you have been there. Well, this wasn't a ceremony, okay? This was a shock to his disciples. What, are, what in the world are you doing? They didn't have a clue. So when he came to Peter, Peter voiced that concern for the whole group. He said, oh no, Lord, you don't, you're not going to wash my feet. Uh-uh. And it was actually an attitude of pride. You see, Peter was serving Jesus as the Messiah. So Jesus is up here and Peter's down here, right? In his mind. 
And for Jesus to serve Peter was totally backwards. And it made Peter lower than the whale's belly. Okay, It's a pride trip he was going through. No, I don't want you to wash my feet. I don't want you to act like a common slate. And that custom of the day was, as we'll explain here in a moment, custom of the day was you went to a central bathhouse. You wanted to take a bath, you didn't go to your own bathroom. They didn't have your own bathroom, okay? There wasn't a bathroom in the house. You went to a central bathhouse and you took a bath and you got all clean. But when you were walking home after your bath through all those streets of Jerusalem, the nasty streets that they were, your feet would get dirty. Even if you had sandals on, your feet would get dirty just walking through all that. So, when you came into the house, the servant, your slave, would wash your feet. So it was a common thing to wash your feet off when you came into the house. It's kind of akin to taking your boots off when you come into the house. Okay. Sandy's been trying to get me to do that for years. And that servant would wash your feet. So what Jesus looked like while he was doing this was a common household slave. And that put Peter way below. And so he objected. No. Let's read it. He says, after... That he poured water in the basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, and wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then comes he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said, What I'm doing now, you won't understand or appreciate it. But you will later on. So Peter said unto him again, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Never. Jesus answered and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So Peter, I'm either going to wash your feet or you don't have anything to do with me at all. When Peter heard that, his pride kicked in again, and he said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, do me all. If that's the case, then wash me all. Jesus explained to him. He said, look, he that is washed. Now, there's a different word in the Greek it's not technically washed. It's bathed. He that is bathed, he that has gone and taken a bath, doesn't need except to wash his feet off. But he is clean every whit. In other words, you're all clean. All you need is to wash your dirty feet. Now, what Jesus is talking about here, 
he's talking about what Peter experienced and what all of us have experienced when we trusted Jesus as our personal Savior. When we were born of the Spirit, had that encounter with Jesus, He forgave us our sins. And that's what being cleansed represents. It represents having your sins forgiven. All your sins were forgiven. You're clean all the way through. But as you continue to live in this sin-cursed body that still has all the conditioning of the old man in it, your feet are going to get dirty. And what Jesus was explaining, not just to Peter, but to all His disciples, was a necessary and vital function that He would perform for them daily. As often as you got your feet washed in that culture, Jesus would be forgiving them or cleansing them. It's kind of what John talked about when he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we agree with God concerning our sins, the sins of the body, the sins of the flesh, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So there is a continual cleansing process that Jesus is talking about here. And he brings us into it a little later after he finished washing their feet. He took his garments, sat down and said, do you all see what I've done to you? If I am your Lord and Master and I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What does he mean by that? We run around hosing people down? No. What he's talking about is you forgiving others. See, we kind of reserve forgiveness for those bad things that people do to us, right? Those horrible things. Forgiveness is a daily process. Forgiving others. You know why? Because every day, people around you people you love or people you don't even know are going to screw up. It's going to make you mad. They're not going to do what you expect them to do. You're going to have to forgive them. If you don't forgive them, you're hating them. This is an important function for the disciple in his everyday life on this earth. How many of you noticed that everybody except you seems to be really weird? Hmm? Everybody except you is crazy. Everybody except you are idiots, especially when you're driving on I-95, right? So you're going to have to learn to forgive or you're going to wind up hating them. This is an important lesson Jesus was teaching. Now, Peter's pride didn't allow him to receive that lesson very well. Because right after that, Jesus said, he announced to the whole group, one of you are going to betray me. Now they all were concerned, all 12 of them, because he just said one of you. He didn't name anybody. One of you are going to betray me. And they were all looking one on another. 
okay looking around are you the one that's going to be trying are you the one am i the one so peter being really nervous about it he motioned to john who was sitting next to jesus at the table he motioned to john and said john ask him who it is so john asked him he said he it is to whom i give the sop now in order to understand their confusion because later on they didn't have a clue of who it was in order to understand the confusion the giving of the sop by the master of the of the feast or the master of the supper was a sign of the highest respect and the highest honor. And guess who he gave the sop to? Judas. So in the disciples' minds, it didn't make any sense. It's the one that I am going to honor and recognize the most. That's the one who's going to betray me. And it just went right over their head. Because when he dismissed Judas to go do his thing later, they didn't know what he went for. They didn't know where's Judas going. Okay, they didn't, they didn't put it together at all. But more than that, it was after Judas had left that Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. In other words, you're going to see who I really am now. And the Father is going to be glorified by that. You're going to see His love. And you're going to see who I really am manifesting His love. And you're going to see how the Father is glorifying His Son. And then He left us with that new commandment. He said in chapter 13 here, let me back up to verse 33. Little children, Yet a little while I'm with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, where I'm going, you can't come. So now I say to you. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm going to leave you here. You can't follow me now. In this hour in which I glorify the Father, He glorifies me. You won't follow me. You can't. So, as a result of that, in verse 34, he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, that went right over their head. The shocking news that Jesus was going to leave them here and go someplace where they couldn't follow him after following him for three years, that shocking news just gave them all a spiritual heart attack. They were paralyzed. And so when he gave them this new commandment, it went right over their heads. See, it's kind of like, Okay, I'm going to leave you here now. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to stay here and love one another. They didn't want to do that. They wanted to follow Jesus. In fact, they had been arguing among themselves 
as to which one was the greatest in the kingdom. They'd been arguing over which one of them was the best follower of Jesus. And now Jesus said, you can't follow me. None of you. But I want you to stay here and love one another. Right over their head. And get it all. How do I know that? Look at Simon Peter's response. Okay, He'll tell you. Verse 36, he says, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, where are you going? Notice what he didn't ask. He didn't ask, Lord, how are we going to love others like you do? Lord, who are the others that you want us to love like you do? Lord, what do we need to be able to love others like you do? No, no, no. That's not what he asked. Instead, he said, where are you going? Why did he ask that? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you shall follow me later, afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? See, in every fiber of his body, Peter actually believed that he could follow Jesus wherever he went. And he was determined to. And that pride needed to be broken. Because that pride was going to kill him. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can't I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for your sake. I'll go with you to death. Now, a lot of us chastise Peter over this, but all the other disciples agreed with him. Okay, when you look at other accounts in Luke particularly, all the disciples were saying the same thing as Peter. So they all had that pride issue that needed to be broken. But look how Jesus dealt with Peter here. Jesus answered him, are you going to lay down your life for my sake? You sure? You sure you're willing to die for me? You're willing to give me up, give it up? Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster's not going to crow till you have denied me three times. Now, that was a shock to Peter. He thought he was a hot shot, right? He thought he was the greatest in the kingdom. And he was trying to prove it to all the other disciples. And Jesus said, you ain't going to lay down your life for me. Before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Now, you all know the story. How that when Jesus was arrested in the garden, as Judas came to betray him with a kiss. His disciples got defensive, especially Peter, who thought he was obviously in charge of security, drew his sword and went after the high priest servant's head. Yeah, he was going to lop his head off with a sword. 
But Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't well skilled, okay, in, in fighting with a sword. He was a fisherman. And when he swung, the servant, named Malchus, ducked to miss the sword. And he almost got away with it, but the sword caught his ear. Slipped it right off. He cut his ear off. Now, to everyone's amazement, of course, I could spend a long time talking about this rest, but to everyone's amazement, Jesus touched his ear and made him a new ear. Created a new ear. Put it back on him. Healed him right there. Even while he was being arrested. Jesus took time to heal Malchus. Now, Peter, on the other hand, was the one who drew a sword. Peter was fighting when Jesus was submitting. In the garden, Peter was sleeping while Jesus was praying. And now Jesus is shaping him and molding him in his very last training session by telling him, look, you're going to deny me three times. And after he was arrested, of course, they took him to the Jewish high priest's house and Peter followed along. To his credit, he didn't scatter away from Jesus like all the other disciples did. In fact, there was one young man named Mark who was wrapped up in a cloak of uh, silk kind of clothing that when they went to arrest Jesus, they grabbed him, they grabbed his clothes. He ran out of his clothes and ran through the streets naked. All of them scattered. But Peter followed afar off. He was watching to see what was going to happen. And when he got to the house there, it was kind of a cold night, and so they built a fire and he was warming himself around the fire. He could still hear and see what was going on with Jesus. But he was warming himself. And three times, two individuals came up to him and said, aren't you one of his disciples? Didn't you follow him around? They'd recognized him. But three times Peter denied that he ever knew him. First time he kind of blew it off. No, no, I don't know. Second time, he got a little, more, a little more irritated, a little more profound about it, and said, of course not. The third time, he really got mad, started cussing like a sailor that he was, and said, I don't know him. Now, at that moment, John doesn't record it for us, but Luke does. At that moment, Jesus standing before the high priest being slapped around, abused, questioned, falsely accused. When that rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. What kind of look do you suppose that was? Was that a look of animosity, hostility? Of you weasel? I told you you were going to do this, right? No. It was a look of compassion, a look of love. Because he knew what was happening to Peter at that very moment. See, he warned him 
in connection with the fact that he's going to deny him three times. He had warned him, saying, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. You all know what sifting wheat means, don't you? They bounce the wheat on a some kind of sheet. And as they bounce the wheat, the shaft rises and the wind blows it away. So Jesus said, Satan's going to do that to you. He's going to bounce you around. He's going to shape and mold you according to my plan, which means he's going to do what is necessary that I let him do to get rid of your pride, to get rid of that chaff so that the pure you, the wheat, can show. So in that look of compassion, it was too much for Peter. He heard that rooster crow. He saw Jesus turn to look at him. Couldn't take it anymore. He ran. And he wept bitterly. Now, that's not really the end of, of the story. Obviously, there's a lot more details to it. But concerning his denial, after the resurrection, after Jesus had risen again from the dead, and he met with the disciples in the upper room. And for 40 days, he was with them on and off after his resurrection. On one occasion, early one morning, when Peter said, hey, the night before, he said, I'm going fishing. I don't know about you guys, but this is entirely too much for me. I'm going fishing. Back to the nets again. Back to his old occupation. Back to something that was comfortable to him. So I'm going fishing. And several of them said, I'm with you. I'm going too. And they went out and fished all night long. Didn't catch one thing. Not one thing. The next morning as they're coming in, they look and they see somebody standing on the shore over there and he's got a fire going. They get a little closer and they hear, children, have you any meat? What does that mean? Did you guys catch any fish? Now, he knew they didn't catch any fish because they'd been keeping the fish out of their nets all night long. Catch any fish? And when Peter heard that, he recognized, that's the Lord. Jumped out of the boat, swam to shore. Now, when the disciples followed Jesus' instruction, to throw the net on the other side. It was filled so much that it took them forever to get those 153 fish in. As he was cooking breakfast for them, three times he asked Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yeah, Lord, I love you. The first one was, do you love me more than these other men? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. A little while later, he asked the same thing. He's, well, he said, if you love me, feed my lambs. A little while later, 
Again, he asked him, Simon, do you love me more than these? More than the fish? Your livelihood? Your means of support? Do you love me more than that? Feed my sheep. The third time he asked Simon, Simon got irritated. <laughs> he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And again, he said, feed my sheep. Why did he ask him three times? See, he had denied the Lord three times. And now, after the resurrection, having his pride completely shattered, Jesus built him up by giving him three distinct times to affirm his relationship with him. It was in that section in that time frame that Peter told him, or Jesus told Peter, he said, when you were young, you dress yourself, go wherever you want to. You have the strength to get around. But when you get old, other people are going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And it's explained to us by John that he spoke these words concerning what death Peter would endure. History reveals that all of the disciples, original disciples with the exception of John, died a violent death, a martyr's death. Peter's death was unique in the fact that he was crucified like Jesus, but instead of being crucified normally, he requested to be crucified upside down because he was not good enough to die like his Lord. Now, Peter couldn't help it. You know, Peter, his character is going to come out. And after Jesus told him what was going to happen to him later, he looked over at John, sitting on a rock over there. And he said, Lord, what's this guy going to do? You told me what's going to happen. What's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, doesn't matter to you. Doesn't matter what's going to happen to him. What's it to you if I have him tarry? If I have him sit on this rock till I come again? You fulfill your calling. Now, Peter was then, I think, at that point, almost complete in his transformation from a reed to a rock. Almost complete. Jesus busted his pride, taught him how little faith he actually had. But you can see throughout the lifetime of Peter how he began to transform into the man that Jesus called him to be. That's an example of what Jesus does with all of us. When you encounter Jesus spiritually in your own heart, when you had that personal encounter, when you trusted Him, 
you are no longer curious, but now you're convinced that he is who he said he was, convinced by the Father. Your molding and shaping begins. And God is in the process right now through his spirit of transforming each one of you into the image of his son, Jesus. He wants you to be like Jesus. Now, you still maintain your personality. There's no change in your personality. It's just that your personality now expresses the character of Jesus. And he's developing you in that. Just like he did Peter. For the great ministry, the great work which he has planned for you to do. Just like he did Peter. So he's almost there. Next week we'll close this study on the life of Peter with what he turned out to be, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And what you're going to turn out to be is likewise equally as amazing as what God did with Peter. Let's close with prayer. Father God, as we come into your presence now, I thank you and I praise you. Praise you for the work that you're doing in each one of us, conforming us and transforming us into your image. I thank you, Father, for your patience with us, your mercy, your long suffering with us as we try to learn and develop according to your plan. We ask you now to continue to teach us through your Spirit and to lead us by your grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.